0: Father, uh, thank you for the abundance that we live in. Thank you for uh, how gracious you are to us in every area of our life. And Lord, thank you for just our little gathering, how precious it is to be together and to sit at your feet and listen to your word. So bless us, I pray in Jesus name. amen. Amen. Living like Jesus. Loving like Jesus and praying like Jesus. This is John, uh, from John 17, 13 through 15. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer before he goes to the cross. And he's talking to his father. And this is what he says. Now I'm coming to you. I told them, meaning his disciples... Many things while I was with them in this world, so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. (coughs) I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in the power of, in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And we see back in John in John seventeen fifteen, where Jesus prays, keep them safe from the evil one. And here Paul is telling us to put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. The armor... Is based on how soldiers protected themselves in battle, and as someone said, Paul was always shackled to a soldier <laughs> in prison, and so he was very, very uh, aware of what the armor was that the Roman soldiers wore. <clears throat> so he talks about the belt of truth, and this is what the belt looked like, and. Those, as I've read in, in, inside where the, where those things are hanging down, the part of the belt at the top, they could put uh, money in there and notes and stuff like that. It was really uh, like a pocketbook in a sense. And it held the sword and the tunic. It supported their uh, 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 their vest and whatever they had on it, it held everything together. It was the foundation in the battle. It was it, it and it represents truth. John fourteen six says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." John seventeen seventeen, which we just read from. Jesus says sanctify them in the truth your word is truth. So here we have <clears throat> if we put on the belt of truth essentially since Jesus is the truth essentially we're putting on Jesus and we're putting on his word because his word is truth. The breastplate of righteousness is Jeremiah 23:16 the Lord <clears throat> is our righteousness. So again, it's Jesus. 2 Tim- <clears throat> Timothy 3.16 All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. The word of God trains us in righteousness. And this breastplate of righteousness protects the heart. So again, we want to put on Jesus, who is our righteousness, and his word. For shoes, okay, the gospel of peace. And these are the sandals that the soldiers wore, and often they might have little nails in the bottom of them so that they could maintain their balance when they were fighting. They were thick leather soles, and they were used to, to march, to march into the world. And Paul uses this. we need to gird our feet with the gospel of peace as we march into the world. We're again to share His peace. John 14:27, Jesus said, "My peace, I give to you." So again, Jesus is our peace. Psalm 119:165. Those who love your law have great peace. So, again, it's the word of God uh, gives us peace. Our shield of faith. The shield is as long as a soldier had a shield, he felt safe and secure. It it was uh, probably about four feet high and about two feet wide. It was a defense against the fiery arrows, and it is vitally needed for spiritual warfare. Hebrews 12.2 says, Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. So again, it's Jesus is our faith. Romans 10.17, faith comes by hearing God's word. So again, the word of God gives us faith. We have... um, this is a showing <laughs> this soldier was under big attack and it shows how the shield is keeping him safe from all the arrows. Uh, so the, the shield is very important. The helmet of salvation was made of bronze and it protects our mind and gives us assurance of salvation and it protects us from deception and false teaching. Acts 4, 10 through 12. No other name under heaven by which one may be saved but Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. Wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. So it's very important that we... Gird ourselves with the word and in Jesus to protect us, again, from false teaching. And it gives us the confidence that we need. And then the sword of the spirit. The the sword was the only offensive weapon. All the other parts of the armor are defensive. Uh, This sword was usually two feet by two, uh, two feet. Long and about two inches wide. And the Roman soldiers practiced for hours and hours in sword play. I mean, it was their way of protecting themselves and taking care of the enemy. They had to be very, very skillful with the word. And so the sword of the spirit (coughs) is the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit. Between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Jesus said in Matthew four four, It is written. People do not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So that. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. And this is what Jesus used in, when he was in the wilderness, when Satan tempted him. What did Jesus do? He quoted scripture every time to defeat Satan. So the sword of the spirit is one that we need to, it's a powerful weapon. And we must become experts in using the sword. This is a picture of a soldier in full armor. This is what we need to look like. (laughs) But what's so wonderful is Romans 13, 14 tells us, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus. So again, when we... Want to put on the armor of God. We essentially put on Jesus. Because Jesus is our helmet. Our our breastplate. Our belt of truth. He's the word. And so it's very important. Uh, I, I mean I never knew what the armor was. I, I, I didn't. And uh, so I asked God to help me understand. What the armor was. I, I mean I didn't know if you took it off at night. Before you went to bed or. Or what, but so I just know if I'm connected to the Lord, if I'm abiding in him, if I'm love his word, and it's a vital part of my life, then I I am fully armored. William Gernall said it is God's word which teaches us how to put on Christ. And his graces so that we are fitly armored. Never flatter yourself into thinking that you can do without this priceless book. So the word of God is very, very important. I hope it teaches us to love, it teaches us to live like Jesus, and it teaches us to pray like him. Paul continues in Ephesians 6 when he's talking about the armor of God. In Ephesians six eighteen, he says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. When I was trying to discern what the armor of God was, and the first part of Ephesians 6, he just what we just went through, the helmet of salvation, The breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith. Uh, I thought, okay, I I understand what the armor looks like and what it's used for. And so I, I thought I'm ready now to be involved in spiritual warfare against Satan. But what happened was, at the as Paul finishes a list of the armor in Ephesians six eighteen, he says, "Okay, now that you're fully armored and you understand what the armor is, I want you to pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere." And I. I have to admit at that one point, I, I was thinking and meditating on that first. And I I said, Lord, I, I think there's been a little, uh, mistake here. Uh, instead of praying for believers everywhere, I think we need to pray against Satan. Because if we're, if I'm to do spiritual warfare, that's my enemy. And so I'm to pray against the enemy that, that, I think, Lord, that makes more sense. And the Lord is, again, we've talked about how gracious and kind and compassionate he is. And it was several days later, he finally said, Cynthia, read the scripture. What does the verse say? It says to pray for believers everywhere. I uh, heard about a man was in charge of... um, a Wednesday night prayer meeting, and um, the majority of of the people who were in that prayer meeting were women. And the majority of the prayers that were requested were for their husbands to come to know Jesus. So they would pray every week, For these husbands to come to know Christ. And. Essentially. Not much happened. And so the elder in charge. Of this prayer meeting. uh, Started searching the scriptures. And. He made a startling discovery. First of all. There are really no prayers for unbelievers. In the Bible. All the prayers. In the Bible. Are for believers. So. He came back. One night. And he said okay. We're going to start praying for you. We're going to pray for the wives. See. First Peter one says. Wives submit yourselves. To your husbands. Um, all right. And do not, uh, oh, wait a minute. Well, let me just, you all see I am getting seen. All right, I have another thing. Sometimes my mind wanders and then sometimes it just leaves completely. (laughs) Okay. All right, I know this. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. So, again, this is a great, I didn't memorize it in this translation, but this verse says that the best way to win a husband who is not obedient to the Lord is not to say anything which I have talked to the Lord about it seems like it says without any words and I think don't you think a little bit would help but he said they will be won over by your pure and reverent life living like Jesus now let me just say this first Peter 3 1 is not a promise but it's a principle. It says they may be one as they observe your pure and respectful behavior. And so the best thing a wife can do for a husband who is not obedient to the Lord is to live like Jesus before him. That, that's what the scriptures say. And so, again, this, they began to pray for wives. And slowly but surely, they began to see some results. So, again, it's important here to kind of unpack this verse to pray for believers everywhere. That we are who we need to be. That we're the salt and light that is necessary in the world to, to be like Jesus. We have a... Jesus said in Matthew 9, 37, 38, he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest, ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now, it would make sense to us. The harvest is great. There are incredibly... Wonderful non-believers out in the world, an incredible number. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Who does Jesus say to pray for? He doesn't say to pray for the unbelievers. He says to pray for the workers, for the believers, for us to be who we need to be in the world. Now, I li- again, I like um, I, one translation says, get on your knees and pray for field hands. I like that. Now, before we get too nervous here, let's, let's go over this. Romans 10.1. This is Paul speaking, uh, writing to the Roman church. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing in my heart in prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. Now, here he's praying for unsaved people. To come to know Jesus. It's it's okay. To pray for them. But let's go on down in Romans 10. And read 14 and 15. But how can they call on him to save them. Unless they believe in him. And how can they believe in him. If they've never heard about him. And how can they hear about him. Unless someone tells them. And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. See, again, I have learned to pray for people I love who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I pray for Christians to come into their life. I pray for their heart to be open and soft the gospel that is fine but but how's anyone going to this is what the scriptures say how can they hear about him unless someone tells them I want someone to come into their life and be Jesus to them live like Jesus before them because that's that's what the scriptures say so again this is how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. This is part of the armor uh, of our, the shoes of the gospel of peace. This is, this is what we're about every day. Giving someone a drink of water, giving someone the good news, being Jesus in front of them. So again, Paul says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. So it's okay. It's okay to pray for the field. But I think the power of our prayer is for us as Christians to be who we need to be in the world. Now, let's just, I want to go through just a little teaching here. First John five nineteen. we know that we are children of God and the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Now, we have, this is something we have to come to realistic terms with. This is not the world God created. And for a period of time, we're under the control of the evil one. And I don't think anyone needs to convince us that we're under the control of the evil one in this day. But this God is allowing it. But this is what Jesus prayed. He said, because he said, and we're going to look at this. I want you to protect them from the evil one. Then God has given us armor to protect us. In fact, we're told all we have to do is stand firm and the devil will flee from you. Yes, we're living in a world under the control of Satan. But God has given us armor to protect us. And so that's why it's so important that we stay fully armored. Now, let's look into this. Jesus told Peter this, and he called him by his old name. He said, Simon, Simon. And I like what someone said. You always be careful when the Lord says your name twice. (laughs) Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith would not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Now, the significant thing to be in this verse is that Jesus did not say, but I have prayed against Satan that he will not be able to harm you. He didn't say that did he? Who did who did Jesus pray for in this verse? He prayed for Peter. For Peter's faith to remain strong, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. It, it's the same thing with in 2 Corinthians 12:9. The scriptures are very clear that the Paul's thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan sent by God. That's hard. And Paul prayed and asked God to take it away three times. And these weren't just three little frivolous prayers. I think they were long, heartfelt, begging, pleading prayers. But again, God said, Paul, it's okay. I'm going to say no to your prayer. Because my grace is sufficient for you. And you need this thorn to keep you from being proud. And so Paul then can say, therefore, I rejoice in my, th- my thorn." I I think we need to understand. I mean, how many of us ever say, guess what? God said no. (laughs) But you all, he does. He says no sometimes because he knows what's best. Again, what was God trying to do to Paul? Make him like Jesus. And you can't be like Jesus if you're prideful. Because Paul had a lot of wonderful experiences. And it would be easy for him to be puffed up. That's why he can write about that. But God, again, that's what I meant in, when I prayed. God is relentless in wanting us to be like Jesus. And, uh, but again, I, I, what we need to understand is that sometimes God uses a messenger of Satan in our life. So, this is in, when Jesus was teaching the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 13. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And then we read this verse, first thing, this, uh, in, as I began this time of sharing. John seventeen 15, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Now, two significant things here. See, Jesus doesn't teach us to pray keep the evil one from us. And he doesn't say, keep them safe from the evil one. He doesn't say, keep the evil one away from them. See, it's not about Satan. Satan is a given. It's about us as believers. We're the ones who need to be Rescued, We're the ones who need to be kept safe. And we are rescued and we are kept safe when we are fully armored. Satan cannot touch us. So it doesn't do a lot of good to pray against the evil one. The good, and this is why I entitled this Praying Like Jesus... The good is when we pray for one another. See, again, remember we talked about how we're to love one another. This is what Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus prayed for us that we would be kept safe from the evil one. And so we need to pray for one another for the body of Christ. We need to pray for We need to be in great prayer for one another. This is one of the great verses that people quote a lot. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. This is an incredible verse. See, it's not... If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek and pray against Satan. No, the deal is I want my people to pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And that's what we need to pray for each other. That we will turn from our wicked ways in the body of Christ. That we will be pure and holy It's only then that I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their ways. See, it's not for evil to turn away from us. It's for us to turn away from evil. It it just changes your whole prayer life. So our focus is on the body of Christ. Our focus is on the believers. It is not. On Satan about prayer C.S. Lewis runs once, once wrote God has left himself a discretionary power had he not done so prayer would be an activity too dangerous for man if we could get anything we wanted through prayer neither we nor our friends would have hurts Tiredness, financial needs, physical pain, car problems, relational struggles or any other needs. If God did not keep discretionary power to overrule our prayers, which is what God did with Paul in the thorn in the flesh. We would use prayer to resolve all problems and in so doing would destroy God's work in our lives. We would pray away God's discipline in our lives and in the lives of those we love. God won't let us do this, so he vetoes our prayers. Now, there's an alternative to having our prayers vetoed. We can learn to pray scripturally. Of the roughly 30 prayers in the New Testament, only three address physical needs. And only three mention the powers of darkness. The primary focus of all New Testament prayers is the values of the kingdom of God faith, love, hope, boldness, spiritual insight, unity, and spiritual strength. First John five fourteen through 15. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked for him. And so the confidence that we can have when we pray for ourselves and for one another is to pray the prayers in the scriptures. Uh, I think one of the most beautiful prayers is Ephesians 3. Let me just read that. I pray, so Ephesians 3.16, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. You all, I would love for people to pray that for me, to pray these verses for me. How we need to pray these verses for the body of Christ around the world. Philippians 1, 9 through 10. These are, this is another great prayer. In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. What a great verse to pray for your church, to pray for your family, to pray for yourself. Colossians 1, 9 through 10. We also pray that your outward lives, which men see, may bring credit to your master's name and that you may bring joy to his heart by bearing genuine Christian fruit in all that you do and that your knowledge of God may grow yet deeper. Great prayer to pray for us to live like Jesus. We pray that your outward lives, which men see, May bring credit to your master's name. That's what what we're talking about this weekend. And that you may bring joy to his heart, to the Lord's heart, by bearing genuine Christian fruit in all that you do. Incredible prayer to pray for ourselves, to pray for all believers. Everywhere, Dwight L. Moody had just gone through the Chicago Fire, and his church had been totally destroyed. And so he spent a little time getting things ready, prepared for rebuilding of his church, and he was exhausted. And he decided to go to England to just spend some time with Charles Spurgeon and George Mueller and some of his friends there and just be taught and um, get some refreshment in his soul. He went to a dear friend, Mr. Lessey, who had a large church in London, and he went in to just visit him in his office, and Mr. Lessie just, really wanted Moody to speak in his church Sunday morning and Sunday night. And Moody said, no, I can't. I came to, to sit and listen to the word, word. I didn't come to preach. But Mr. Lessie was insistent. And so finally, Moody agreed. He'd preach Sunday morning and Sunday night. So he got up Sunday morning. And he started preaching And he said, it it was like I was on a railroad train trying to get up a steep hill. He said, I I just had no freedom. I felt like there was a brick wall between me and the congregation. And as I finished my sermon, I thought, oh, no, I've got to do it again tonight. (laughs) And he was, he tried to get out of it. But Mr. Lessie said, oh, please Please, Mr. Moody, come back. And so it was with a heavy heart Sunday night that he came back to preach. And he said, and I began to preach. And it was like heaven opened up. And I shared the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And all you have to do is to believe on his name and he will save you and make you his child, and forgive you, and make you a new person. So he shared that, and he said, now all of those who would like to make that decision, I'd like for you to stand up. And 500 people stood up. And he thought they misunderstood. So he asked them to sit down. (laughs) And so he said it again. He presented the gospel again. Now, if you really mean you want to ask Jesus Christ into your life and, and have him be your Lord and Savior, then I'd like for you to stand up. And 500 people stood up again. And he still didn't think they understood. So he said, I would like for you, if if you would want to make the decision, that you will meet Mr. Lessie and me in the auditorium at the back of the church. Because he wanted to be sure And so, anyway, Moody left, and Mr. Lessie uh, met with these 500 people. And so, Moody left to go to another city. And the next night, Mr. Lessie telegrammed Moody. He said, you must come back. Revival has broken out in our church. Now, and so, it was just awesome. Dwight L. Moody was telling R.A. Torrey this story. And so as Torrey listened to Moody's story, Torrey said, Oh, Mr. Moody, there must have been someone praying. And Mr. Moody said, Oh, yes, let me tell you. There was a a woman in the Sunday morning service where he preached that went home that afternoon to her sister who was invalid. And she said, oh, sister, guess who preached at our church this morning? Dwight L. Moody. And the sister was just, oh, I have prayed for months for Mr. Moody to come to our church. If I'd known that, I wouldn't have eaten any breakfast. I would have spent the morning in prayer. She says, now, sister, leave me. I'm going to spend the rest of the afternoon in prayer. And pray she did. And God answered. See, she prayed for Dr. Moody. To be who he needed to be. To be like Jesus. To be salt and light in that congregation. So we pray for believers. We pray like Jesus. He intercedes for us constantly. So I pray that you will pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Let's pray. Father, just uh, kind of confirm in our hearts what we've heard today. Just sift through and speak to us what we need to take from, from what we've heard this morning, Lord, in our hearts about praying and about how you, how you pray and how you answer prayer, Lord, and where our prayers need to be, Lord, and how we need to pray, Lord. Just speak to our hearts, I pray, for just a few minutes. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, our father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope, comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. Amen.